Hello and welcome to A Health Podacy. I'm your host, Alan Weil. Vaccines have played a critical role in reducing mortality associated with COVID-19. Yet there are significant differences in vaccine access between higher and lower income countries. The Lancet called this phenomenon vaccine apartheid and said it led to a two-track pandemic. What do we know about access to COVID-19 vaccines and barriers to access in lower-income countries? That's the topic of today's episode of A Health Policy. I'm here with Ashley Fox, Associate Professor in the Rockefeller College of Public Affairs and Policy at the State University of New York at Albany. Dr. Fox and co-authors published a paper in the December 2023 issue of Health Affairs, which is devoted entirely to global lessons from the COVID-19 pandemic. They examined disparities in COVID-19 vaccine uptake among low- and middle-income Western Pacific and African countries. They found that among unvaccinated respondents in the surveyed countries, half had unmet demand for vaccines. They also found rates of unmet demand higher in African countries than in Western Pacific countries. We'll discuss these findings in much more detail in today's episode. Dr. Fox, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. So let's go straight into the topic of your paper. You focused on 17 African and Western Pacific countries. Before we sort of understand barriers to access or reasons people didn't get vaccinated, what can you tell us just about the overall levels of vaccination rates in these countries and how they compare to other countries around the world? Yeah, great question. I think in part the answer is that we don't actually know too much about vaccine uptake in low and middle income countries around the world. Most available data that we have is not really based on population samples that can provide estimates of actual uptake. Uh, instead, estimates tend to be based on official records of the number of doses distributed per 1,000 population. But that can't really tell you anything about who is actually getting those doses, um, whether they're equitably distributed within countries, or whether the same individuals, likely people who are higher income and based in urban areas, are getting multiple doses. Additionally, the studies that do exist were often conducted early on in the vaccine rollout, and so they weren't able to assess actual uptake and instead just ask about hypothetical willingness to vaccinate when the vaccines were to become available. So our survey of countries was conducted at least a year after vaccines became widely available for consumption by the general public, which provided ample time for us to look at uptake and whatever it was going to be at that point. And what we found was that uptake was exceedingly high in Western Pacific countries, near 100% in many of the Western Pacific countries we looked at. And these vaccination rates were, are actually higher than vaccination rates in many Western countries, especially the U.S., which I think is hovering around 70% for primary vaccination. But by contrast, we found that rates were exceedingly low and more variable in African countries. So specifically, whereas more than 90% of individuals in Western Pacific countries had received at least one dose of a vaccine, only about 50% of individuals in the Africa region had been vaccinated on average. Uh, the range was very high, however, in the Africa region, um, ranging from about a low of 27% vaccinated in Cameroon to 85% vaccinated in Uganda. So a lot of variation there. 
Also, large majorities of people in the Western Pacific region had received both primary vaccination and booster shots, whereas in the Africa region, very large percentages had neither received primary vaccination nor a booster shot. Only about 20% had gotten a booster shot. And across all countries, uptake of mRNA vaccines was very low. Only about 22% of the sample had received an mRNA vaccine. So your introduction to the subject uh, raises two issues for me. One is just the data problem. We focus a lot on rates of vaccination and who gets them. And certainly in the U.S., we've had that conversation and tried to address it. But you're right. And if you're just counting numbers of doses, you really know very little about how to intervene. And that gets to the second issue raised by what you said, which is whenever there's variation, we're always interested in why and what are the factors and what does it mean? So that leads me to sort of where you go in the paper. You're looking at reasons for low vaccination rates, and obviously there are myriad reasons, but fundamentally you frame it around two categories of reasons. I wonder if you could just say what they are and why they serve as barriers to people getting vaccinated. Yeah, so early on in the pandemic, we were intrigued by these two very different narratives that were emerging about the factors that might constrain vaccine uptake. So on the one hand was the treatment access camp that were really concerned about how intellectual property rights agreements and vaccine nationalism would be likely to constrain access and what sort of became described as vaccine apartheid, as as you mentioned. But on the other hand was the camp that was really concerned about vaccine hesitancy or the inadequate demand for vaccines. So we really wanted to try to separate out these two causes to understand how much of the issue of low uptake was ultimately due to vaccines not being made readily available to people in LMICs and how much was due to people who had access but were reluctant to take the vaccines. And LMICs, of course, are low- and middle-income countries. Just want to make sure everyone gets that acronym. Um, Too many acronyms, yes, low- and middle-income countries. (laughs) So, yeah, we applied this term, unmet demand, to refer to people who reported that they wanted to be vaccinated but still were not by the time of the survey. Um, And we actually borrowed this term from the family planning literature that has discussed this phenomena for some time in the the context of family planning to try to explain the gap between self-reported fertility desires and the actual number of children that people were having. So how much of that is due to not having access to contraceptives versus a continued demand for a large family size. So applying that to the case of COVID-19 vaccines, especially in places where uptake is low, like sub-Saharan Africa, it was unclear to us what proportion of the unvaccinated were unvaccinated because they chose not to be vaccinated, right? They had low demand for vaccines or because they didn't have convenient access to the vaccines. So supply side factors. Yeah, no, so that that seems uh, so important. And of course, the obvious policy implication of this distinction is that the interventions you would use to address one are potentially very, very different than the interventions for the other. And so if you misdiagnose the reasons for low uptake, you could end up putting a lot of resources into something that actually has little effect, and you could be wrong in either direction. And since it's challenging to address either one of those problems in a world of limited resources, you don't want to put them in one place or spread them too thin across them if if the primary reasons are one or the other. Well, help us then understand, given that framing, what 
did you find about the reasons people were not vaccinated? And particularly, you've already introduced the fact that there is variability across the country, some overall sense of the reasons and the variability. Interestingly, we found a pretty even split between people who were still unvaccinated because they didn't want to be, so like vaccine-hesitant people, and people who wanted to be vaccinated but were not, so people who had what we were defining as unmet demand. There was essentially a 50-50 split among the remaining unvaccinated people, so about half the sample had unmet demand. This was quite variable across countries. A number of African countries had very high unmet demand between 30 to 40 percent of the public. Western Pacific countries had very high vaccine uptake overall, so unmet demand was present but lower, um, but still, you know, in the range of 30 to 50 percent of people who were still unvaccinated having some unmet demand. So I want to dig a little deeper into what we learned about these reasons and what we might then do about it. We'll cover those topics after we take a short break. And we're back. I'm speaking with Dr. Ashley Fox about disparities in vaccine uptake in uh, low- and middle-income countries. We've been discussing the variability across countries, but that overall, if you look at the reasons people were not vaccinated, you see about half of this is unmet demand, people who want a vaccine and can't get it, and the other half is people who are not interested in being vaccinated. So let's start with that second group, people who say, well, I just don't want the vaccine. Uh, What do we know about uh, why people would turn down a vaccine that we have lots of evidence uh, can save lives? In our particular survey, the the questions that we asked about why people didn't vaccinate uh, were only asked to people who reported that they weren't willing to vaccinate. Among them, what we found was that the reasons that they reported for not being willing to vaccinate, although they varied by country, in general, the largest ones were low risk perception of COVID-19. So that was the biggest reported reason. And that was followed by concerns about adverse effects and perceived ineffectiveness of the vaccines. So basically, complacency and low confidence in the vaccines were the main reason that unvaccinated and hesitant people gave for not getting vaccinated. Ideally, we would have asked all unvaccinated people why they were not vaccinated to try to get a more direct sense of how much lack of availability was playing a role. So I think future studies should really make sure that they're asking these questions to everyone who's unvaccinated to really try to tease this out more. Do you have a sense, it's not the topic of your paper, but do you have a sense of whether the reasons you just mentioned align with what we know from other parts of the world? Of course, there's vaccine hesitancy as a global phenomenon, not just a low and middle income phenomenon. Yeah, I think, you know, it does correspond with what other studies have found. I do think the reasons for hesitancy vary somewhat across countries between higher income countries and lower income countries. But there are definitely commonalities in terms of people being unsure about 
the safety of the vaccines, the effectiveness of the vaccines. I do think the concerns about thinking that COVID is not that serious, that definitely occurs in high-income countries. I actually think there's more of an element of truth to that in certain low- and middle-income countries, especially in sub-Saharan Africa, where death rates from COVID-19 were were actually very low. Now there's questions about how much of that is due to underreporting versus like actually lower burden or lower severity of disease uh, in the Africa region. But that may give some actual credence to why people felt like COVID was not a serious risk to them. Oh, that's very interesting. And again, I, you know, as I think about the public policy side of this, the more commonality there is around the country and the reasons for hesitancy, the more we can learn globally about how to address that. But as you note, when it's rooted in part in local conditions that are real, then that is a matter that would have to be tackled differently in in different parts of the world. Let's move to the unmet demand side of this, which was, of course, the other reason for people not being vaccinated. What does it mean when someone is unable to get a COVID vaccine that they would like to have? We looked at predictors of sort of who had unmet demand. And interestingly, we didn't find too many consistent predictors. We found that younger people were more likely to have unmet demand, less educated people uh, were more likely to have unmet demand, and to an extent women were more likely to have unmet demand. I think younger people makes a lot of sense. Obviously, older adults were rightly prioritized for getting vaccines. Less educated, obviously, that is concerning because it implies there are equity issues going on. Um, women was a little surprising because other surveys have found that um, women do tend to be a bit more hesitant. You know, our findings showed that it sort of predicted unmet demand, which would suggest that they were willing, but just didn't have access. Surprisingly, living in a rural area was not particularly consistently associated with having greater unmet demand. Um, and that really went against what we were anticipating. We really thought that there are, we would find big gaps between urban areas and rural areas in terms of having unmet demand. Ideally, future studies with more targeted designs can try to get at this question a bit more, but I think at least we have uh, started the conversation on this. And I guess I'll ask a version of the same question I asked before. And again, I apologize because this isn't really the focus of your paper. But there is, of course, unmet demand elsewhere in the world as well. Um, Although, as we noted, access was much more limited in the part of the world you studied. Do you have a sense that those uh, correlates with unmet demand are similar? You mentioned sort of your hypothesis had been that rural would be higher levels of unmet demand. Is that because we see that in other parts of the world? And so you assume it's true here, or is it because of things particular to this part of the world? I'm just curious what we know about that. Yeah, I mean, I think universally across countries, we find that convenience um, is very important for vaccine uptake. If you can get to it easily, if it's a default, um, and if it's not convenient, then people aren't going to do it, right? And I think even in high-income countries, that, that was an issue and a concern in a lot of communities. I do think it's a a greater issue in low and middle income countries, which was why I was surprised we didn't find more consistent findings on that. Because just 
getting adequate supply of vaccines to rural areas is a really big challenge in low and middle income countries. Vaccines require a cold chain, a consistent cold chain to be delivered. And many low and middle income countries still do not have full electrification um, in rural areas. They don't have refrigeration. They may experience electrical outages for prolonged periods of time. Roads are often quite impassable to get to rural areas. And especially in parts of sub-Saharan Africa, people live very far away from capital centers and, you know, in places that are, are difficult to access. So um, those were the reasons that led me to think that uh, access would be, especially unmet demand, would be higher in certain low and middle income countries. Makes sense to me. So it is an interesting finding. Well, you uh, conclude in the paper that the findings support the need for strong healthcare infrastructure and capacity building. These are terms we often hear when people uh, find shortcomings in uh, health outcomes. I wonder if you could just give a little more granularity to those concepts. What is it that would be most helpful based on this work and, of course, other work you've done? Specifically, if you can think about the challenges you identified and line them up a little bit with these notions of strengthening and capacity. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think some of the issues are the ones that I just mentioned. And, you know, especially what, what we found is that in sub-Saharan African countries, there was substantial unmet demand for vaccines. We know from other research that COVAX, um, which was this sort of initiative to make vaccines available in low and middle income countries, that it underdelivered in terms of making vaccines available in a timely manner to low and middle income countries. High income countries practiced vaccine nationalism and hoarding. And, you know, I think much like during the uh, HIV treatment access movement, intellectual property rights and TRIPS agreements posed a barrier to access based on need globally. So I think we need to uh, look at our our global health systems and supply chains and and how to make uh, access more available at that level. But, you know, as I already mentioned, some of the barriers within countries more broadly for vaccines to be made equitably available in low and middle income countries, there are a variety of barriers to delivery of vaccines that pose additional challenges for uptake. And these include, as I mentioned, you know, weak supply chains, especially cold chains, which are required to deliver vaccines. This was true for you know, sort of normal vaccines. But uh, obviously, during the pandemic, these novel mRNA vaccines were developed, which actually require extraordinary temperatures to store them appropriately. As I mentioned, many low and middle income countries still lack consistent electrification and refrigeration. So this posed a real challenge for making the more effective mRNA vaccines available um, in low and middle income countries. So many people have also called for both, you know, strengthening supply chains and distribution networks within countries, but also making sure that there are appropriate types of vaccines available to meet the conditions on the ground in many low and middle income countries. Well, the good news for our listeners is if you're interested in some of the global vaccine equity topics, there are papers in addition to yours that address that in the December 2023 issue of Health Affairs. I am curious, as you uh, focused here on unmet uh, need, 
earlier on, we had discussed hesitancy. And although you said some of that is based on low perceived risk, which may have actually been rational, given the populations you're uh, surveying, other parts of it were more about concerns about effectiveness and efficacy that perhaps could be addressed by a stronger health system. We've uh, certainly all heard a lot about trust and trusted messengers. Is there a health system dimension to the hesitancy as well as to the uh, meeting the unmet demand side? Yeah, I think there there definitely is, and that needs to be explored more. I mean, we know that, especially in sub-Saharan African countries, there's very high uptake of childhood vaccinations, and, and those are very widely accepted. And uh, other studies have shown that hesitancy is actually lower in sub-Saharan Africa than in other regions. Um, so I think there's also issues that were specific to the COVID-19 vaccines um, in terms of the, the trust that you mentioned. So yeah, I, I absolutely think that we need to continue to do more research to understand what are the drivers of both continued hesitancy towards COVID-19 vaccines and unmet demand and how we can increase demand for these vaccines. Well, Dr. Fox, thank you so much for explaining the work you've done here and for its important contribution. As you noted at the outset, we actually don't have particularly good data on these phenomena. And so adding to it and giving more nuanced understanding of how to interpret lower vaccination rates, particularly in the Africa region that uh, you said had much lower rates than the Western Pacific and certainly lower than the higher income countries. Uh, This uh, nuance is critical to developing strong interventions that uh, hopefully improve health this go around and improve the health system for the next go around. So I appreciate the work and your explanation of it. Thank you so much for being my guest today on Health Policy. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll tell a friend about a health policy.